Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is found uh, in the, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel for this morning is taken from St. Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning at verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? 
So the last will be first. And the first last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated and we like to invite the children to come forward. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The text today we're going to hear from is the reading from the book of Philippians as we continue through this series we're calling Complete Joy. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be gathered here in the presence of your saints to receive your word. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it means to live outside of ourselves in faith towards you and in love towards our neighbor this end grant us your holy spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight O lord our rock and our redeemer in jesus name amen all right we're going to do as we get started here this morning uh, a lot of vocabulary work so i hope you brought your uh, notebooks and papers to follow along with the vocab work that we do here today uh, but i want to talk to you today a little bit about uh this world we live in and i, I want to start by saying this we participate, here's your first vocab word, in what we call a cultural liturgy. Oh, wake up, everyone's excited now, cultural liturgy, this sounds like a thrilling sermon, I can't wait to see where this goes, I'm with you, all right. Cultural liturgy, what do we mean by that? Well, if you hear the word liturgy, if you grew up in the church or have been around the church, this is probably a familiar term to you. If you're not from around the church, this might be a little bit different. In the church, the liturgy is just the order of worship that we follow. You come in here and we order our time in a particular way. And there's a goal with this liturgy. The, the point of the liturgy is to teach us um, how to sound and think and speak like Christians. The goal of the liturgy is to inform the way we think, speak, and act and to also form the way we think, speak, and act. So I'll say something like this to you. I'll say... Um, um, the peace of the Lord be with you. And sometimes you will respond by saying what? Or if you're like a Star Wars fan, you're like, the force be with you. And then the Lutherans go, also with you. And we all laugh and it's kind of terrible. But uh, we have this sort of liturgical back and forth. And the way it works in a service is this. We hear God's word of law in the confession and we respond by confessing our sins. Then we hear his word of forgiveness and we respond by giving praise and thanks to him. And this is how the whole service goes back and forth. And it's teaching us how to speak and think and act like Christians. That's the form of the liturgy. That's why what we do here matters. But I would suggest to you that, that we live in a culture that is also teaching us a liturgy. But this liturgy that we participate in, this language that we speak, and the songs that we sing in our culture are not teaching us how to be Christian but rather, they're forming and informing our lives in such a way so that we become consumers. We live in a consumerist culture. Oh, there's your second vocab word for today. Those are the only two I got. Cultural liturgy and consumerism. Now, what is consumerism? Consumerism is this idea that says, I am the center of everything and everything exists to serve me. And I exist to consume what is served to me. So I'm at the center and everything needs to serve me and then I exist simply to consume it. And this is the way our economy works. We spend money on those things that we want to consume and if we don't like it, 
we spend our money somewhere else. But this is uh, sort of the liturgy we take part in. In fact, the cultural liturgy we have has taught us to think this way. To put ourselves at the center and to think everything exists to serve us. I'll prove it to you. By singing to you, uh, or maybe I'll say it this way, by having you participate in the hymnody of the culture, or as we like to call the hymnody of the culture, the jingles from our commercials, okay? So I'm going to say a part to you, and I want you to respond. See if you, see if you know the cultural liturgy here. All right, see if you can get these right. I don't want to grow up. I'm a... The best part of waking up is... Burger King, here you go. BK, have it. All right. The Energizer battery, it just keeps going. Just like this sermon. Very good. Now, what you see here, though, and what I want you to notice in all of these commercial jingles is you're being taught something. This is forming the way you think. Every single one of those, except for the Energizer battery one, is about what? You. Best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. If you don't have Folgers in your cup, your day's not going to be that great. I actually agree with that. Uh, I, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I want to live in this perpetual youth. All of this, uh, BK, have it your way. I mean, this isn't just Burger King. This is like the way we think culture should be. Everything should be my way. Right. So this is the language we are taught, and it gets pretty extreme. I saw a commercial this last week. Um, for a company called Wix. Does anybody here work for Wix? Very good, because I was nervous about that. Uh, Wix has uh, this as the opening line of a commercial I saw this week. Nothing is more powerful than you. How about that? I mean, if you buy their product, nothing is more powerful than you. And here's what I want you to be aware of. You and I participate in a daily liturgy, we cannot avoid these things. It's just in the air we breathe. But we participate in this daily liturgy that is reinforcing this idea that I am the center of everything and there's nothing in this world more powerful than me than everything therefore exists to serve me. And now we can all kind of like scowl at it, but don't pretend like you don't like it. Don't pretend like you don't participate in it. I mean, you sing those jingles and we laugh about them. We like it. To be at the center of all of this. But there's a problem. Because liturgies form and inform the way we think, speak, and act, this sort of language begins to creep into every aspect of our lives. So it's not just about what we consume as customers, but we begin to think this way about our relationships. So think about this. When we analyze the value of a relationship, and let's just stop right there and think how strange that sentence is analyze the value of a relationship when we stop and analyze the value of a relationship we'll say something like this and this is the consumer's mentality what's in it for me what am i getting out of the relationship it's all about me after all or we'll take this mentality with us to church and we'll begin to uh, treat the church like it's a product that we can purchase or leave behind so long as it's meeting my needs. So I come to church with a question asking, what am I getting out of this place? Did I like the pastor? Sorry for that one, friends. Um, did the music speak to me? Which is one I've heard. Now that's a, 
That's a funny question to ask. Like, we came here to sing to you. You're not the one we're praising. Um, how do I feel after I leave? Am I empowered? Am I equipped? After all, CLC, have it my way. Nothing is more powerful than me. This way of thinking is the old sinful nature, isn't it? This is a selfish way of thinking. And it's reinforced constantly by the world around us. And in fact, it's the liturgy that, uh, that Satan already started singing to Adam and Eve back in the garden. You remember this, God created the heavens and the earth and he gave everything to Adam and Eve as a gift. The whole place is yours. The first thing he says to them is not, do not eat, but the first thing he says to them is, take and eat. You can eat anything you see in front of you in the garden. The whole place is yours. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, enjoy the place. But this tree over here is mine, he says. This belongs to me. You don't eat the fruit from that tree. When you see the tree, you'll think of me, you'll sing, you'll rejoice. It's sort of a sacrifice you're making for me. But listen, you can't eat from that one. And Satan comes along and says, don't ask what God said about the tree. Don't worry about what God commanded about the tree. Ask yourself this, what can I get out of that tree? What's in that tree for me? Maybe God is just afraid of the fact that there's nothing more powerful than you. Garden of Eden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, have it your way. And so Adam and Eve thought that way. And we find ourselves now living in a world poisoned by this thinking. The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh all love to play this consumeristic game that says we exist as the center to be served. And frankly, it's this way of thinking that is leading to so much depression and is ripping all kinds of joy away from us because it's just an utterly selfish way to live. And frankly, it's counter to the gospel and to the way of life Jesus Christ has saved us into. So what we're going to do today is we're going to see what the scriptures can say to us to help us combat this consumer mentality that has just saturated our entire lives. And we're going to do that by continuing through this book of Philippians. Uh, the letter of St. Paul that he writes in prison to his beloved church in Philippi. And here we've been talking about this series, Complete Joy. And what we've looked at over the past couple of weeks is how no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we are there dwelling in the palm of the nail-pierced hand of Jesus Christ. And he is always with us and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us and he's always there forgiving us for our sins. Therefore, he is the source of all the joy that we have. Now, last week, as we were examining the joy we have in Jesus, uh, we heard St. Paul say these words, and I think this is a good place for us to start as we think about standing up against the consumerism around us. Paul said this, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm going to stop you right now because I know exactly what happened in your head. You heard me say... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And immediately, what did you start doing? Thinking about your life. Is it worthy? Am I worthy enough? And you turned inside yourself to start looking for worthiness. And you started asking it, what does it look like for me to be worthy? Am I doing enough? And you started to pile all this sort of guilt upon yourself. I don't think that's where Paul wanted you to go today. Now, there is a dangerous consumerist way of hearing this question where you would hear this, or this comment and say, okay, I'll live a life worthy of the gospel, but why? What's in it for me? 
After all, I've heard I'm saved by grace alone. Jesus did all the saving, so I don't have to do anything else at all anymore. Why do I need to live a life worthy of the gospel when I already have the gospel? I'm free. What's in it for me if it's not my salvation? See, very selfish way of thinking. This is not where Paul's sending us with these words at all. In fact, I would suggest to you today that in telling us that we are to live a life worthy of the gospel, Paul is inviting us to a life that is focused entirely outside of ourselves. He's inviting us in every way to take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them in two other places. Stop thinking about your own worthiness and to start thinking about Jesus. And to start thinking about the people Jesus has placed around you in this sanctuary and in this church. Paul's inviting us to focus on others, to live a life outside of ourselves. Not to ask ourselves the question, are my works worthy of saving me? Because you know Jesus has already done enough to save you. There's no work left for you to do to get to heaven. Jesus has done that entirely. So when it comes to your salvation, you put your faith in Jesus and not your performance. So when it comes to your relationship with God, you live in faith outside of yourself. You live in faith towards Christ. And then when it comes to your neighbor, you're called by Jesus not to look at them, especially here in the church, not to look at your brothers and sisters in the church and say this, what am I going to get out of these people? But rather, how can I love them? How can I serve them? And so the Christian lives their entire life outside of themselves, in faith towards God and in love towards the neighbor. And so what this is doing is it's calling us to look outside. So today, I suggest we repent of this question, what's in it for me and what am I getting out of this? Let's take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on the gospel of Jesus Christ and recognize that the joy of the Christian life is that you're living outside of yourself. So Paul will describe uh, the life this way, and this is completely counter to uh, the consumerist world we find ourselves in. Listen to what he says. This is speaking right now in our, of our relationship with others. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You know, let that one sink in for just a second. Count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind, uh, let each of you not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a really radical thought. That you do not, uh, the world does not exist to serve you, but you are called in Christ and by Christ to look outside of yourselves, to look at the people around you here in the sanctuary and view them as more significant than you. We don't speak this way at all in our culture. This is offensive language in our culture. And it's actually kind of shocking when you start to think about it for the Christian. Because think of the titles that you have as a Christian. Like when you're baptized, you are called a child of God. And in the, in the scriptures, child language is inheritance language. That is to say, you are an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of the heavenly father. Jesus has prepared a place for you in heaven. And think about this, where you will rule and reign with him over the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. You have been called holy royalty. The metaphors go further. There are points in the scriptures where you and I as the church, we are called the bride of Christ. 
The bride of who? The Lord of heaven and earth. So we as the church serve as the sort of queen, whereas Christ is the king. So we are inheritors of the kingdom of heaven, ruling and reigning with Christ, the queen to the king of heaven and earth. This is a wonderful title, incredible title given to the church. And the consumerist mindset hears this and thinks, yes, this is what I've been looking for. Now, as such, everyone bow down and worship me, for I am holy royalty. And you are. But the gospel shows you that holy royalty operates in an entirely different way than the kingdoms of this world. To be sure, you are free in the gospel, subject to none, and yet called by God to subject yourselves to everyone. And here in the reading from Philippians, especially he's focusing us in on how we are called to serve in the church. So what this means is that as you look around yourself today, and you're allowed to do that, you can look around. You don't have to keep looking at me. I'm, you're, you, you shouldn't. Uh, but look around you in the church here today. What this means is that when you come to church, you don't come to church looking at these people saying, what am I going to get out of them? What are they here going to do for me? But rather, you show up to church asking yourself this question. Who do I need to serve today? Who needs to know that I love them today? Who here needs me to babysit for them this weekend so they can finally get a night out and relax? Who needs me to cook a meal for them so they can have a good, some good food because they're not able to cook for themselves right now? Who in our church needs a ride? Who's not here today and needs a ride because they can't drive themselves to church anymore? Who needs me today to take them aside and just say a prayer with them so they know they have some love, some support, some compassion? Who needs me to give up my time, my money, my resources to help them in some way? I'm not asking here the question, who here needs the church to start a program for them? You're asking yourself the question, who can I care for and love and serve today? I know your time is valuable. Your money is important. Your resources, they matter a great deal. But remember, all these other people here, consider them more significant than yourselves, than your time, your money, your resources. They're the ones you're to sacrifice those things for, just as they are called to sacrifice those things for you. Now, the consumerist is starting to speak up now because the consumer in our hearts doesn't really want to die off and go away. And the consumerist is now saying this, but what about me? Don't I need to take care of myself? Don't I need to care for my needs first before I can care for anyone else? After all, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the focus there must be on myself, right? Like I'm the one I need to serve first, right? Listen, sure, okay. Maybe, not really. That was a good answer for you. Um, too often, I mean, yes, we are to take care of ourselves and love ourselves, of course. But you don't need to be taught that. And quite frankly, I fear that such thinking is just the old sinful nature looking for a loophole to get out of love. And there are no loopholes when it comes to love. The church, Paul says, is marked by self-sacrifice and self-giving. Listen to the way he describes the community of believers. He says, it is a place of encouragement in Christ, comfort in love, participation in the Spirit, affection, and sympathy. All of these are indicative of a people who live in a radically different way from the self-preserving, self-exalting, self-serving way of the world, our flesh, and the devil. 
So in all sincerity, look around you today. Look at the people here. Who needs you? Who needs you to love them? All of these people you are here with, they are people for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. He shed his blood for everyone you see in this room so that they would be forgiven and brought into his kingdom. And now he's placed you next to them and them next to you so that we might be found loving and serving one another, sacrificing for the sake of each other. But now if that's all we do when we come to church, we're actually missing kind of like the main point in all of this. Because why do we come to church? To worship, right? Now look at the people around you. Don't worship them, all right? These people are not gods you are to worship. They're neighbors you're called to love and to serve. We come to church to worship. And so we show up and we worship Jesus. He's the one now. We live outside of ourselves in love towards our neighbor, but we live in love, or excuse me, in faith towards Christ, trusting him. And so we come here to worship and praise him. But what you start to notice is that you can only be in a community that loves each other properly when you worship a Jesus who loves you in the same way who comes to church for the same reasons you should come to church. And did you ever think about this? Jesus came to church today. You know Jesus is here every week. Before you even show up, Jesus shows up to church. And you know what he does when he comes to church? He asks himself a question. Who here needs me to love them? Who here needs me to serve them? Who here needs me to forgive their sins and give them the gift of everlasting life again? And you know who he sees? You. He's come here to sit today to serve you. When these humble words of forgiveness that you hear and your sins are forgiven, or later when you eat the bread and drink the wine and he gives you his actual body and blood, he is there, the Lord of heaven and earth, serving you. That's why he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So he's shown up here today to give you that ransom life. So that you would know that you are forgiven, you are loved, and you are a member of the family of God. Paul says it should work this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. It is like one of the most breathtaking texts in all of Scripture. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now think on that the God of all creation, the Son of God, our Lord, put on our flesh, humbled himself, left his glory, put on our flesh to pay for our sins. He who dwells in unapproachable light, who sits enthroned in heaven and is served by all the company of angels, the seraphim and the cherubim and all these wonderful holy things, laid it all aside, to put on our sinful flesh, though he himself never sinned, and gave his life in service to you as a sacrifice to God on your behalf so that you would be washed clean of all of your sins, forgiven and promised that eternal life is yours. 
This is the God who shows up in human flesh and, and decides one night that, you know what I want to do? I want to wash my disciples' feet. So the Lord of heaven and earth gets down on his hands and knees and scrubs out the muck and the mire from between the toes of his disciples in an act of service and love towards them so that he might show them exactly the sort of thing he's about to do on the cross when he bled and died to wash away the muck and the mire of their sins and of your sins. This is the one the Father has raised up now to be your Lord and who you bow down and worship. See, I think, with all due respect to the organization, Wix is wrong. There is something far more powerful than you or I, and it is the Lord Jesus, whose power is made known best in his shameful dying, whose authority is known in his sacrificial service, whose glory shines forth most brightly when he's dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the world and to give you the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus showed up here today and said, who needs my forgiveness? And he saw you. And so you are forgiven and you are free. Free from the consumerist mentality of the world around you. Free from having to serve yourself free from being bound to your own sinful desires, you are free to live in faith towards God and to, in love towards your brothers and sisters who need you. You are free, for Jesus Christ has served you in this way. Amen. Let us pray. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, for the mercy that you have shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, just as he has set aside his glory to serve us, help us to set aside all that we glorify in so that we might serve you and serve our neighbors. Help us to be people who live outside of ourselves in faith and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.